3, verse 19, into chapter 4, verse 7. Why then was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power. And so uh, that, the promise, uh, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now I say that as long as, there, as, long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, uh, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, uh, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, welcome everyone, my name is Daniel. It's good that we can uh, open up God's word together. Uh, and so, as we do so, how about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you that we have your word. Thank you that we can study it together. Please help us to concentrate. Um, help us to have ears that listen to your truth um, and help me to speak your truth alone um, that your name may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, in my wide and very professional opinion, uh, which isn't very wide or varied at all, uh, I think that uh, some Western culture is quite individualistic. Western culture is quite individualistic. And I think some of us in this room who aren't from Western cultures uh, maybe have noticed this. Uh, I think generally individualists, uh, they like to pick and choose what they want for themselves. Uh, for individualists, your personal opinion, your personal self is more important than a lot of other things. For example, it's more important than your position in your family. Now, uh, typically, I think the children of individualists um, would do things like choose what sport they want to play or... Um, choose what musical instrument they want to play. Uh, whereas, uh, whereas children of non-individualist parents, uh, not speaking from any personal experience, have parents decide what sport you're going to do, swimming, and what instrument you're going to play, piano. Uh, now, I'm not saying that individualism or non-individualism is better. I'm just saying that there is a difference between the two. Now, I think... Um, 
one of the ways that we see individualism in Western culture yeah, is to do with religion. Now, just yesterday, I was walking around campus and I was asking people, as many of you have been doing, um, what they think about Easter and what does Easter mean to you. And one person I spoke to said, um, well, I'm a Christian, but I do Christian things my own way. I do Christian things my own way. Now, what does it mean for you to do Christian things your own way? Well, I think within individualism, it means that people pick and choose what they want. They pick and choose which bits of the Bible they want to listen to. I'm sure we've all heard people say something along the lines of, I believe in the God of the New Testament, but not the God of the Old Testament. I believe in the God of love from the Bible, but not the God who commands war and the God who commands judgment in the Bible. I think that's individualism speaking, where people are picking and choosing what they want from the Bible. Now, I think we disagree with that because we believe in the whole of the Bible. We believe the whole Bible is God's word. And so we, we believe that you can't just pick and choose which parts of the Bible you believe in and which parts you disagree with. Now, that sounds great in theory, doesn't it? Until you come across things like the Old Testament law. If we believe the whole Bible is God's word, well, how do we hold the Old Testament law and the New Testament together. I don't know about you, I don't know any Christians who offer animal sacrifices. I don't know any Christians who offer grain offerings. And I don't know any Christians who don't eat bacon. <laughs> unless they're vegetarian. Um, which is a different reason. Um, and so if you believe in following the whole Bible, and if we don't read it with an individualistic worldview, if we let the Bible be the authority and not our personal preferences, well, how are we supposed to hold the law together with the New Testament? I think that's the question that this passage starts off with today. It starts off in verse 19 of chapter 3. Why then was the law given? What is the purpose of the law? Now, before we answer that, before we look deeply, let me try to remind you a bit about where we've come from through the book of Galatians. Um, Paul has said that there is only one way to be right with God. Well, that's what the Bible is saying. There's only one way to be right with God. It is not what we do that makes us right with God, but it's what Christ has done for us. And so following the law, doing works of the law, doing that sort of thing is not the way to be right with God. If you try to earn your way into heaven, it's actually a curse upon you. The way we, we are made right with God is through faith in Jesus. That is the way that we are made right with God. Now, if that's what God says, and if that's what God tells us, but then God also is the person who gave us the law to begin with, well, what should we do with the law? That's the same question that we've been asking. If the law isn't for salvation, if the law isn't what makes us righteous, what do we do with it? Well, the simple answer that Paul gives us, where point one is that the law is the guardian. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Let me read to you from chapter 3, verse 24. Um, <clears throat> the law, then, was our guardian. There you go. The law was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. What does this mean? I think here, 
Paul identifies three different parts to the law being a guardian in this passage. Let, let me talk through, through each of them. Firstly, um, we have point 1a. We were imprisoned under sin. The law imprisoned us under sin. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, we learn that we need to be rescued from sin. That is something that we all face. Sin is our problem, and Jesus is our rescuer. Now, what about the law? Well, before Jesus came, in chapter 319, it says that the law was added because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. Now, a transgression is a breaking of the law. And so the law was given so that we could know when we break the law. It was given because of sin. Let me try to explain this. I might know that it's not right for me to copy someone else's assignment. That is wrong. However, it's only when the uni actually has a rule and a law that says you will not, you, sh- you shall not, it's not right for you to copy someone else's assignment. Then when I know that I copy someone's assignment, I have broken that rule. And so if there was no rule to begin with, then there was nothing for me to break. That's what the law does. The law is given to show or identify when exactly we have sinned. It clearly classifies what is right and what is wrong. It establishes when we have transgressed, broken the law. Paul talks about this in in verse 22 and verse 23. Follow with me. Um, The law imprisons us as transgressions. So in chapter 3, verse 22. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. And verse 23. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned. As the law identifies what is wrong, we realise that we have actually done wrong. And so the law imprisons us. It shows us that we are guilty of breaking the law. All of us fail to do what the law requires. And so all of us are guilty of breaking it. Now that's the first thing about the law being a guardian. It imprisons us under sin. Now, if the law imprisons us and the promises of God are given um, that we may have life, do the two contradict each other? Does the law contradict the promise? Is God's law opposing to God's promises? I think Galatians says, no, not at all. The law actually works hand in hand with the promises. Let me show you from verse 21 of chapter 3. Follow along with me. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not! For if the law had been given that would be able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. Now we saw last week that God promised from the beginning that we can have a right relationship through faith in Jesus alone. We are justified, we are made right by faith alone. That's the promise, that is not the law. The purpose of the law was never to make us right. It was never to make us right with God. And so what good is the law? Well, the law is the guardian. It identifies our transgressions and it imprisons us as a sinner. It was never intended to make us righteous. Now, that's all quite negative. Is there any benefit from the law? Is there anything good about the law being a guardian? Well, I think, I, think it, I think there is, and I think some of you may have already spotted this as we've, looked, as we've read through this passage. 
I want to point it out to you uh, to make it quite clear. That is, the purpose of the law was to keep us, to look after us, until faith in Jesus Christ was revealed. That is, the law didn't just imprison us as sinners just because God wanted to imprison us. No, there was a greater purpose for the law. That is, it points us toward justification by faith. Let me show you, um, let me show you from verse 22. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power, and this is the reason, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Similarly, in verse 24, the law then was our guardian unto Christ, so that, that's our reason, so that we could be justified by faith. The so that in those two verses tells us the purpose of the law. That is, the point of the law is to look after us, to help us identify what is right and wrong so that we can live God's way. It points us toward the faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus' sacrifice, until um, we actually saw that faith revealed. In verse um, 23 of chapter 3, it says this. Let me show you from verse 23. Before this faith came... We were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Now, I think, talked a lot, um, might be helpful to try and illustrate this a little bit. I think the law is a bit like road markings and road signs. Now on the road, there are different road signs, kind of some like this, this yellow road sign. Um, it tells us what's coming up ahead. It says there is a windy road coming up. That doesn't. We don't look at that sign and go, oh, there's going to be a bend to the right and a bend to the left. And we don't move our steering wheel accordingly. What that is, it's a warning. It's pointing us toward what is coming up. It points us forward and it indicates what is coming. Now, as well as road signs, um, there are actually also road lines. Like my rhyming? <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Now, these lines are a bit different to the road sign. We need to actually follow these lines and move our steering wheel accordingly as we're driving up the road if we are to stay on the road and to stay safe. If we, if we don't follow these road lines, we'll go off the road and have an accident. Now, both these, these road things, the road signs and, and the road lines, they help us stay safe. But, they don't actually make us safe. That's all up to the driver. That's up to something else. But the road markings and the road signs help guard us against unsafe driving. And so, if we return to the question that we started off today with, what do we do with the Old Testament laws today? Well, I think we've seen, and you know, this is what we've seen throughout the few weeks, the last few weeks, we don't follow the laws to make ourselves right before God. First and foremost, we do not do that. But we have seen that these road rules, uh, the laws that God gives us, are a guardian. They point us towards faith in Christ Jesus, the need for His sacrifice. They make us aware of His sin, of our sin. And therefore, what do we do with these? What do we do with the laws? Well, I think we follow them in as much as they help us trust in Jesus and in as much as they help us live godly lives. And so just 
as we become aware of the upcoming road with that yellow warning sign, so we become aware of and learn about the laws that point us toward faith in Jesus Christ. And just as we obey the lines on the road, so to keep us on the road and keep us safe, so we obey the laws that keep us from sinning. We don't obey them to make ourselves right with God because we've already been made right with God. And so because we have been made right with God, we then follow them. I feel like I've said a lot. Give you a second to digest that. One of the purposes of the law is to point us toward faith in Christ. We're at point number two. So now, I want to point out from this passage what it means for us to have faith in Christ. Now, I think the passage introduces um, two different things to us in verse 26. Let me read to you Galatians 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Two things from that first. Firstly, we are adopted as sons, and secondly, we are all one in Jesus. Let me explore the first thing, that we are adopted. We've been adopted into God's family. Now, to be adopted means to be accepted as a child, to be part of the family, to have all the privileges of being a child in a family. We get all of those privileges. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time tonight to explore exactly how that happens. I think the summary of that is um, we we get adopted uh, through Jesus becoming a human and by our union and participation with him. Um, Let me encourage you to look at verse 27 of chapter 3 and and verse 4 of chapter 4 if you want to explore that a bit more. Um, But I want to to think about what does it mean for us to be adopted. Um, Becoming a child of God is much, much, much better than just getting a visa stamp on your passport saying that you're allowed to to come into God's God's kingdom. It's better than becoming just a permanent resident as well. It's like getting full citizenship as you move into a different country. That's what adoption is like. Now, I'm married to Jess. Um, Some of you have met her, some of you haven't. Um, She's my wife. She's real, trust me. Um, (laughs) When you get married... uh, I guess there's a bit of a saying that says you get married into a family. You don't just marry um, the person, you marry into the family. Anyway, Jess's family owns a vineyard. And so the vineyard is part of Jess's inheritance. Now, I don't know anything about vineyards. I don't, I don't even really drink wine. I don't know anything at all. But, but because I am married to Jess and because I've become part of her family, I get to partake in that inheritance. And so, I am the co-heir of a vineyard. How wonderful is that? (laughs) Now, it sounds great, until I tell you that the vineyard loses lots of money and is a bit of a pain in the neck. Um, But that's okay. The point is, um, through my, in some ways, my adoption or becoming part of Jess's family, I've become a co-heir in the inheritance that she gets. Now, throughout all of history... People have been waiting, they were imprisoned under the law, as the law pointed towards faith in Jesus. Now, we have seen that this anticipation, this unknown, has been revealed. We are not only justified and redeemed from our sin, but we've also been made children of God. We've been made co-heirs. 
we share in all the privileges of being part of God's family. We get to share in his inheritance. Much better than a single unprofitable pain-in-the-neck vineyard, um, we get to inherit God's promises. The promises that he gave to Abraham. Um, And rather than fear God and be distant from him, we get to call him Father. We get to inherit the resurrection life that Jesus brings. We get to inherit all of that. How wonderful. How great is it to be sons, children of God. Now, now to the next point. Now, as children of God, as people with faith in Jesus, my final point is we all have the same identity in Jesus. We are all one in Jesus. Let me show you from verse um, 28 of chapter 3. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christians are all equals. We are all justified in Christ, and we all receive the same benefits, the same inheritance. One Christian is no better than another Christian. A slave is not more important than the master. Being employed is no better than being an employer. A man is no better than a woman. No race is better than any other. Now this is wonderful. This is great news. Because the Bible is all for equality. It's, and, and our equality, our value, is not based on ourselves. It's not based on what we do. We've seen that. Our, our, our identity, our value, is based in Jesus. In Jesus alone and what he has done for us. Now this is wonderful. Let me, let me try to explain to you why this is wonderful. It's wonderful because we all make mistakes. It's wonderful because we were all imprisoned under sin. And so it is a relief to know that our identity is not made up in ourselves. It's made up in Jesus. Jesus who does not make mistakes. Jesus who does not break the, the rules. Jesus who has followed the law. And so we don't have any burden of having to do good to earn our way, to have our value in life. Remember, the law was added to imprison everyone under sin. Now, it was also added to point us toward faith in Christ Jesus as a guardian. And those who have faith in Christ Jesus are justified. And in verse 28 of chapter 3, we see we are all accepted as children of God. Now, it's because of this that we are all accepted as children of God, as co-heirs, as equals. That's the reason why we have cross-cultures. That's why we are gathered here tonight, like this. The reason why we gather as locals, as internationals, as Asians, as Caucasians, as Indians, as Middle Eastern, even as Tasmanians, sorry, (laughs) is that because the Bible tells us all of us are one in Christ Jesus. Now, I get so encouraged every Tuesday when I come here and I see different cultures relating to one another, talking to each other, studying God's word together. I want to encourage you all to keep doing that. Keep crossing cultures. I want to encourage you to look out for people from different backgrounds to you. Celebrate that you are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you don't usually speak to people who are different, let me encourage you, at cross cultures, to cross cultures. 
Get to know your brothers and sisters. Love your family. Grow with one another in Christ. Now, if you don't have faith in Christ, please hear from today that God welcomes you. Through faith in Christ Jesus, you are no longer imprisoned under the law. You no longer have to face God's judgment. Through faith in Christ Jesus, you too can become an heir in God's promises and his inheritance. You too can be part of this family. Through faith in Christ Jesus, you too can all be accepted as one in Jesus. Now I started the sermon today asking the question, what is the role of the Lord? Why sh- what should we do with it? Should we follow it or should we not? I hope you've seen that the Lord helps us to um, stay away from sin and that it points us towards faith in Christ Jesus. I hope you've seen that. What we've seen is that faith in Christ Jesus contrasts the individualistic Western culture that we sometimes see. Because in Jesus, we aren't individuals. We are all one. We are all heirs, children of God. This is wonderful. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Jesus Christ, we can be children of God, heirs to the inheritance. Thank you that um, you have given us the law um, to show us of our sin and to show us um, the need for faith in Christ Jesus. Help us to live well in accordance to that and to love people from all cultures as part of our family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.